Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, everyone. About a decade ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a renewable energy developer. He'd done projects all over the world, from Southeast Asia to Central Europe to Sub-Saharan Africa. I asked him what was next, and he said, well, we're going all in on Mexico. Come again, I said. Mexico is dominated by CFE, the state utility. Well, yeah, he said, but it's opening up. They're putting in a big renewable energy target, a bunch of new reforms, and it's opening up to private development. We're going. And they did. And so did many others. In fact, Mexico became one of the hottest markets for clean energy development. Newly opened Mexico attracted billions in investment driven by three highly successful auctions that are tied to more than 8 gigawatts of new wind and solar capacity. But policy under President Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO as he's known, has taken a U-turn. Since taking office in late 2018, AMLO has canceled Mexico's renewable energy auctions and sidelined national clean energy targets. And recent regulation goes further, asserting that renewables threaten Mexico's power grid, placing at risk over 4.5 gigawatts of wind and solar currently under development. To tell us more, we've got James Ellis, head of Latin America for BNF and based in Sao Paulo. And joining us from Mexico City, we've got BNF Metals Analyst Sharon Mustry. You can hear Sharon talk metals with us in a recent episode on unconventional lithium, but today she'll give us her perspectives on the energy sector in Mexico. Our discussion is based on a report titled No Winners in AMLO's Clean Energy Feud. BNF users can get this report on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. James, Sharon, welcome. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for coming in. James, I'm going to point the first question to you. We're going to talk today about the president of Mexico and, and some things that are going on with his office. Can you describe for us who he is and, and kind of what he stands for? So Mexico's president is currently Andres Manuel López Obrador, known pretty widely as AMLO. They, uh, I think he has a very interesting political identity. He's been a fixture in Mexico's political scene for quite some time. Previously, he had been mayor of Mexico City. He came to the presidency in a landslide election in 2018 and took office in December of that year and has since done a number of things. He has very, very uh, strong supporters and very strong detractors. And among the interesting things he's done, and, and controversial things, I should also add, are uh, many have to do with the energy sector. Sharon, was he mayor when you were growing up in Mexico City? Yeah, he was mayor when I was little. still remember a lot of, of the things he did for the city. He has also run for president. This would have been his third time when he won. So he was always a very, like, prominent, controversial figure. And I remember being little when he ran the first time. It's worth adding as well that he started a new party called Morena, 
um, not that long ago. And Morena also had a very large showing in congressional elections and currently has a majority in, in the Senate and the Chamber of Deputies. Is there a, there's kind of an analog anywhere else like the U.S.? Is this equivalent to like a Tea Party or a Trump movement or something like that? I don't know if there's a U.S. equivalent. He, he reminds me of Trump in some in some sense, like his way of doing politics is very focused on himself. Like it's it's not necessarily done in an egoless way, <laughs> if that makes sense. I think it's pretty remarkable what he achieved. I what what James was just saying. He he basically formed this party or or brought it to the center of Mexican politics in a couple of years, out of basically nowhere, he got a huge control over Mexican politics all around. Can we give some context or a backdrop to the whole situation? Sharon, can you explain to us kind of what's going on with the with COVID-19 in Mexico and how that relates to actually the energy sector? Mexico still hasn't been able to curb the pandemic. We, we still have kind of record increases in cases each day. The government, unfortunately, didn't take it very seriously in the beginning and made it, similar to the U.S., kind of a, a political thing rather than just a, a health crisis. The impact on the energy side is obviously a lot of things had to close down, so demand decreased, and, and that was then used, as we'll explain, for changing energy policies. So a decrease in demand because people are kind of staying home and businesses are shut down has been used as a tool to explain away or explain some changes that the government wants to make. Is that fair? Yeah. So given this, what has AMLO's response been as it relates to energy? What's really interesting is that AMLO has used the COVID-19 pandemic to push through some regulation that gets at some of his objectives that he was already trying to achieve before the COVID-19 pandemic ever happened. At the end of April, Mexico's market operator, Sinase, issued a resolution that indefinitely suspended tests for all renewable plants across the country. And that was pretty interesting because it basically effectively barred any new projects, any new intermittent projects, which means wind and solar in Mexico's case, from connecting to the grid at all. It specifically said intermittent projects? That's correct. Yeah. It denied authorization for future tests. It also subordinated dispatch of uh, existing wind and solar plants to CFE's firm capacity uh, over the course of the crisis. Can I ask a question? So, so we'll get into this, but CFE, the Mexican state-owned utility, owns a considerable amount of geothermal. Did it mention intermittent because CFE owns geothermal resources? So it, it's renewables without geo? I think it's entirely possible. I mean, CFE, what they don't have is wind and solar. And what I think all observers of the situation can agree on is that AMLO very much wants to limit private participation in Mexico's energy sector, period. They only have 2% of Mexico's total wind and solar capacity. CFE only has about 2% of that, very little. So this has basically been interpreted as efforts to achieve that objective by using the, the pandemic. Sharon, why is energy so political in Mexico? Energy has a history of being a very important political topic in Mexico since like after the Mexican Revolution, so like the 1930s. And for a while, the oil and gas and the electricity sector were nationalized. And until recently, with the presidency before AMLO, they were privatized. So AMLO did not want to kind of go back on those reforms explicitly, 
but has been undermining them with the kinds of things that James was just mentioning for the last year and making it really hard for private companies to participate in the energy space. But it's so political because there are just people in the government who want energy to remain controlled by a government? I don't quite understand why. I think it's it's an, a pretty old ideology where where basically Mexico perceives private companies as coming into the country to extract kind of value and resources without giving anything back. And specifically with energy, it's thought of a, as a strategic thing that the government should control. What James was mentioning is basically what AMLO is trying to achieve is to conserve the main power within the energy sector in Mexico in the hands of public companies. A lot of detractors of what AMLO is doing will argue that it's actually a ploy to continue with a government who has kept public companies running while taking advantage of them as public officers. And and there's a lot of corruption going on in both CFE and Bemex. So it's a complicated issue where officials kind of argue that nationalization is, is for the security of the country and the benefit of the people. So it's kind of a populist tactic. But the detractors will say, no, it's just kind of a way to get money and, and to further corruption. I, I think that, as, as Sharon explained, I mean, energy is a, is, is a controversial topic. The energy, the market opening reforms of, of the Peña Nieto government, the one that preceded AMLO, it, it involved passing constitutional amendments. It's an inherently controversial issue, I think, in Mexico. What we've seen recently and why that's interesting is using the low demand scenario that's kind of resulting from the pandemic to guarantee the state's share uh, or to guarantee that state that that maybe you know the slightly older or or inefficient um, more fossil fuel based fleet of the CFE to guarantee that those plants continue to run instead of uh, in, instead of intermittent plants is really what's interesting and as i mentioned those intermittent plants are very much the product of private investment that the energy reforms ushered in. So they're saying that on current projections of, of low demand scenario, they don't need more power. And so they're cutting off the top. Well, that's, I would say, what it looks like. The, uh, so, so both the Senase resolution and then there was also the Ministry of Energy published a policy in the, uh, in the official Federal Gazette that sort of tried to make these changes permanent. They both spoke to the same thing, which is safeguarding the reliability of Mexico's power system. That, that, that's what it was really about nominally. But what it is really about, uh, I think, is, uh, is and, and, and it's quite, quite clear to everyone, it's really about, as Sharon laid out there, it, it's about safeguarding the role of the public sector in strategic industries. Just to add to that, it's important to point out that most of the generation that the CFE owns is fossil fuel. So usually they, they'd be kind of marginal. and especially the oil field plants, they would run now in the summer where COVID has had the most impact. So part of what they're doing is it's very connected to Bemex and the fact that IMO 2020 reduced the demand for the oil that Pemex produced. 
but this oil can be used in the generators of the CFE. So it's kind of to put to use that excess oil that Bemex has, there's this kind of new organization of how you can deploy energy assets within the market in Mexico and giving priority to fossil fuel generators so that they could use this excess oil is is also part of this story. So just to clarify for those that might not be familiar, Pemex, I guess, is the is the National Oil Company of Mexico, is that right? Yeah. And IMO twenty twenty is the International Maritime Organization. Is that right? Organization? Yeah, which basically it reduced the amount of sulfur you can have in oil used in shipping. And that tends to be the oil that Bemex produces. So now they have reduced demand for Bemex oil. So there's a reduced demand for this. And now they can say, okay, we can just burn this for power generation in Mexico. So James, you said CFE only owns 2 to 3% of the intermittent capacity or wind and solar capacity in Mexico. What companies, when they opened up the barn doors, as it were, to to open up the energy industry in Mexico, what companies came in? Who participated in the auctions? So the largest owners currently of wind and solar capacity in Mexico are, are European developers. Uh, we're talking about Enel, Iberdrola, Acciona, UK-based investor Actis uh, owns a number of developer platforms as well, and, and so on. But in, in general, the auctions that Mexico held over 2016 and 2017, there were three of them. They were highly successful, transparent, and competitive. Internationally, they were considered to be successes, and they really attracted a, a wide variety of players. As you said, just a few years ago, Mexico was very much top of mind if you were thinking about exciting new markets for development of clean energy. And why this story is so interesting is that it has been a complete 180 from a policy point of view. And as you said before, you think this is a, a push for supply security or nationalization of the energy sector? I think that AMLO is, this government is fundamentally opposed to the energy reforms that were passed by the last government. They are not in favor of private participation in the, in the energy sector on either the oil and gas side or, or the electricity side. And they're looking to safeguard what role the state has and, and then possibly build on that. And you can point to many steps that the government took before 2020, uh, since AMLO took office, that bolster this perspective. Okay. In addition to cancel, they, they canceled the renewable energy auction uh, program, which, by the way, as I mentioned, were considered to be successful and transparent and competitive, secured competitively priced power for the CFE's residential supply arm. By the time that the prices kind of fell every auction, and by the time they got to the third, the average uh, average off-taker price was was twenty under twenty dollars per megawatt hour. It, over the course of the past year and a half, the government has also sought to dilute the market for renewable energy credits, has basically sidelined national clean energy targets, and then also kind of taken steps to even to even undercut benefits that legacy wind and solar projects and uh, received, which predates energy reform. So there's sort of like a long, I, I guess I would say there's a, there's a pretty long paper trail here of looking to limit private participation in the energy sector. And unfortunately, that very much has brought wind and solar into the crosshairs. Sharon, as a resident of Mexico City, have you noticed any changes in, in either supply reliability? Like has there been blackouts or has there been any differences to your day-to-day -day life? Has electricity been more expensive? No, I wouldn't say I've noticed any huge differences yet. There haven't been any blackouts and the prices in Mexico are, are quite subsidized. So I, I haven't noticed a rise in the last few months. 
I wanted to add to James's comment, which is, yeah, the, the government has been very creative in, in the way it is trying to consolidate power for the CFE and for BEMIX. But just to like put it into perspective of the two sides, one side will say that this nationalization of energy is good for prices and ultimately saves the taxpayer money, even if we don't notice it in our bills, because it reduces the subsidies that that the government has to give. Um, the other side will say that's that's false. Like actually, these intermittent sources are are a lot cheaper to run, and it makes no sense to say that prices will be higher with renewables versus versus gas or oil plants because just their marginal costs are a lot higher. It's also important to say like some people think this nationalization tactic for security reasons is also a myth because a lot of the gas that Mexico would use for most of its fossil fuel plants within the CFE is imported. So ultimately we still rely on like foreign foreign resources to power the national power company. So really what what would need to happen is if the national company wants to be fully sovereign and and independent of, you know, US gas imports, it would have to invest in renewables itself or or generate gas within Mexico, which it seems unlikely. Why hasn't CFE invested in renewables? I don't know that I could give, I, you know, not, not being party to CFE's sort of strategic decision making. I, I don't know if I could like fully, you know, give, give a full answer to that. But what we can say from, from, from looking at like, for example, uh, the Mexican government's independent audit of CFE a few years ago, and for looking, looking at its sort of public financial accounts, and, and also it, it, its lack of investment in renewable energy and, and generally aging generation portfolio, is that it sort of, lacks a plan or mandate to 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 revamp itself it, it, it is sort of a classic on large uncompetitive public entity that nevertheless is the backbone of mexico's uh generation capacity it has a 54 percent market share by by capacity so the cfe is fundamental to to, to the sector but it, it's also sort of a bit i i think a little bit in um caught between two competing visions for, for, for what Mexico's energy sector should be. These, these famous energy reforms begun in 2013, um, unbundled the, the, the utility. Um, but as Sharon said, supply to, to households is one of the areas that remains in, uh, that, that, that it kind of retains monopoly of over, as well as transmission and distribution. And its generation segment was broke down into six different, six different entities. But ultimately, when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to costs, Mexicans, me- Mexican citizens do pay lower, low by regional standards, prices for power, and that's due to subsidy. Um, in each of the past two years, uh, that's totaled about four billion U.S. dollars from, that's been transferred from the government to CFE. So even if you don't feel it in your power bill, then costs are borne somewhere in, in the in the sense of higher system costs and, and then government subsidy, which ultimately flows through the taxes, I suppose, at some point. So couldn't the compromise be, for both these competing visions, be, yeah, let these quote-unquote reforms go through uh, and more control goes to CFE, but 
allowed developers to come in and develop wind and solar projects that CFE would then buy, right? So CFE becomes a competitive utility buying competitive power, but it doesn't have to develop the know-how or the, you know, doesn't have to build the projects themselves. Wouldn't that work? Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think uh, one, as you said, we don't know, but I think that's absolutely a um, that, that 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 would be a uh, a, a positive and uh, constructive step. Um, there's no reason why they can't tender why they couldn't tender projects uh, and and sort of and 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 begin the process of revamping their portfolio and ex- and diversifying into uh, into new clean technologies. I mean, this is common in several other countries that have national power companies where you just tender the project and then buy it once it's built. Yeah. You know, Sharon, I think, brought in a really uh, fundamental theme before when she, when, when she was talking about bringing in the national oil company, the IMO regulation, what to do with this excess fuel oil. And that is that um, AMLO has this sort of old school view, I suppose, of what it means to be what, 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 it, what it means to be sovereign, maybe. And that is based on Mexico should uh, seek to return to its, its its higher producing days in terms of oil and gas it should refine all its all, all of its own uh, crude in, into into refined products and it should basically you know the, the should do be able to do everything itself I don't think anybody has ever gotten the sense that the at the high highest levels of this government that they actually understand uh, the value of renewables I think they actually view renewables as a um, and by, by renewables I mean wind and solar mostly they view it as an expensive alternative possibly also sort of uh, laced with uh, with corruption, corruption and tied to the private sector. So there, there's clearly a misunderstanding. Okay, so my my quote unquote compromise is not going to work. What is actually happening then in in Mexico? The latest regulatory and policy steps the government has taken are very vulnerable to legal challenge. And in fact, since this sort of latest attack, I guess you could say on renewables has happened, there have been three separate uh, injunctions at the federal court and even the Supreme Court level that have suspended their implementation. So what that means is that basically all this um, kind of like anti-renewable policy is sort of on hold and, and pending. It doesn't mean it's completely uh, shot down, but the fact that, that a lot of what AMLO has tried to do in the electricity sector has not been successful in moving forward kind of underscores the strength with which energy reform was passed. I mean, there, there are conflicts with what he's trying to do, both with the constitutional amendments uh, as well as with the implementing legislation. So, yeah, the regulatory rollback that is currently conceived uh, is is um, faces a lot of headwinds going forward, and it's unclear if, if any of this stuff will actually remain standing. To add to that, it's actually been quite heartening to see an institutional checks and balances play out with this particular issue in Mexico. So the two injunctions that James was referring to, one reason they were given was they would undermine competition and and further a monopoly, which would be the CFE. And then the other reason is actually quite historical. It was given for reasons to protect the environment. So the Supreme Court legitimized environmental issues as a reason to stop these new regulations going forward. If I'm a private company that looked at Mexico 10 years ago, I think we might be in a situation where it seemed like a good idea at the time. Have private companies been kind of spooked by what's going on there, or are they still interested in Mexico as a market opportunity? You know, I think they're still interested in Mexico as a market opportunity, but I also think it would be naive to think that 
these latest policies and the overall sort of approach of the AMLO administration to the sector hasn't seriously undermined investor confidence. So, so I think projects that are in the queue, in the pipeline, that are financed under construction, they are by and large moving ahead. I think that if you go a step out, it, it, it might be the, the projects that are more in conceptual phase. It, it might be more what I, I guess what I mean is new or potential investment. I would expect to take a serious hit from this. Kind of the view from the ground since the start of AMLO's presidency, his speech has, has been very clear about his lack of support for the private sector, both foreign companies and national companies. And that has seriously slowed down investment in the country in general. I think the energy sector kind of took a while to see this get to them. But if it follows the same trajectory as other investors and, and their confidence in Mexico, both national investors and foreign investors, but in other sectors, then I would expect for there to be a, a slowdown in the energy space as well. Just because it's really hard to deal with a government that is is so inconsistent and, and that makes it a lot more risky to to invest in these huge projects. And, and the presidency in Mexico, uh, Mark, it's, it's, it's just worth worth noting as well, um, it, it's a single six-year term. Uh, and AMLO is, is uh, just about two years in. So there, there's, you know, there's four more years of <laughs> uh, to see where things go. And, and I would imagine, you know, a, a material, a, a material amount of investment will be, will be delayed or, or, you know, maybe some investors will think twice and hit pause um, on, on new projects. But we're talking about, um, just to put numbers to this, we're talking about, uh, there's about almost five gigawatts of wind and solar that's under development currently. Um, and then there's about almost 11 gigawatts of wind and solar that is, uh, that is commissioned. Oh, wow. So a lot has, has gone into the ground, but uh, there's still a lot that's kind of in limbo. Absolutely. And, and part of the reason why a lot has gone into the ground is that Mexico has um, a very strong history of renewables um, that, that, that predate this, uh, this discussion by a long ways with uh, wind development has been particularly strong in Mexico, um, predating energy reform, in fact. Final question. Is there a winner in all of this? We think it's very hard uh, <laughs> to see a winner in all this, simply because, as has already been amply demonstrated, the government and the private sector are going to lock horns every time a, a new policy or regulation comes out that, that, is, that is sort of easily open to legal challenge, um, and which all of these have been. So what we're likely looking at, because we do think that it's, it's quite likely that AMLO will continue to challenge the private sector and, the, and therefore renewables, we think it's likely that we're going to see uh, continuing um, and, and probably mutually damaging legal, le- legal fights. So um, stay tuned. We definitely will. And we'll definitely have to have you back on the show to talk about it. Sharon, James, thanks for joining. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much, Mark. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. 
This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.